Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air via social distancing. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, it's 3, 2, 1, Go with Cosmo Macero. Then, Cosmo speaks with Madison Block of American Consumer Credit Counseling to discuss the ACCC Financial Health Index and the insights it's providing into the financial lives of American households during the pandemic. And last up, Two Minutes with Tom. edition of 321 Go on OA On Air, our deeper look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero, and I'm joined by Kyan Isaacson, the official voice of OA On Air. Kyan, how are you? I'm good. Hello. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy 2022. Let's go. It is. <laughs> we're already into that little period of January where you're like, when do I stop? Is it the 15th? Is it the, when do you stop saying happy new year? Cause people are like, okay, enough. We've begun now, but we're not quite there yet. So happy new year. Happy, happy new, new year. year. Happy 2022, everybody. We Absolutely. are, we're here. Another year where we're psyched to leave the other year behind and hope that this year is better. Yes. But <laughs> onward and upward. Indeed. All right. Some pretty interesting stuff for this episode. Number one topic in America right now, certainly economically and beyond, because it impacts literally every household and every person uh, in one way or the other. And that's and that's inflation. It's at its highest level in 40 years at the end of 2021. It reached is impacting every area of the household economy. The consumer price index, the CPI rose 7 percent through December of 2021. The last time that index eclipsed 7%, 1982. I believe I was a sophomore in high school. It's a long time ago, <laughs> Diane. And you know, been it's been a minute. It's been a You had to say it. It's been a minute. The president, <laughs> president Biden's been addressing this as we speak on this day. We're recording January 13th. And there's not a lot of good news if you are concerned about being able to stay on top of things, make ends meet, being able to afford all of the items in your pantry and your, and your refrigerator, the cost uh, the cost of housing was already through the roof in terms of homes, but um, it is now impacting the rental market, which is going to hurt all kinds of working people. Um, and really just, just every necessity costs more. Every non-necessity costs more. And there's kind of no way, no way around that. It's it's impacting everyone, uh, including people like yourself and, and I and everyone else who has a home and a family and uh, you know uh, bills to pay. Yeah, I mean, inflation is such a it's such an icky word. Um, it, it just kind of like kind of makes you cringe when you think about it now because it's jumped so high, and we're seeing you know, what that looks like in so many different ways. Um, you know, out here in California, I can't even begin to talk to you about gas prices. They're so astronomical. It's like, it's depressing. You know, some places approaching like $5 a gallon for gas. And that's just like ridiculous. Um, but you know, it's also, it's the cost of meat. It's the cost of food. It rent prices. We've all been talking for a long time about outrageous real estate prices for home buyers, but that has now trickled to the rent rental market, which is, you know, is certainly concerning. And while it's affecting middle class, upper middle, everyone feels inflation, right? When prices rise, we all feel it. But I think, 
you know, going back to who it really hurts the most, we're talking about people who were struggling to make ends meet before, um, you know, here in Massachusetts, we work with a group that's been pushing to raise cash assistance grants for children and families living in deep poverty, uh, for families who were struggling before these inflation prices are just, they're not doable. It's, it's make or break time. Um, and that's, that's wildly concerning. Uh, the rest of us are probably annoyed that the cost of chicken and pork and beef have gone up, but it's not going to, you know, ruin our, our day-to-day lives. Um, and there are people where that is, that is the case now more so than ever. And, you know, I don't know what the plan is to get out. I'm not an economist. I don't like numbers, but it's concerning. The trickle down effect is, is really wild. And being out here on the West coast, I don't, you know, you can look out at like ports as you drive up the coast and you can just see shipping barges just sitting, waiting, waiting to get into, (laughs) waiting to bring in goods. They're leaving empty. It's just, it's all one big mess. And if we don't sort of get a grasp on it soon, that that domino, that ripple effect is just going to worsen and, and sort of expand further and, and more. So yeah. I don't know. It's such an ugly word now. What I find interesting about it, and I think this is the case for a lot of people. I'm older than you, but for most of my adult life, the uh, the concept of inflation was just that. It was conceptual. It was something that you... It's been, and I was a business journal, so you kept an eye on it, and you kept an eye on what the Fed was doing in terms of money policy. You know, we're going to cut interest rates to um, motivate the economy, but we got to then be careful so we don't cause inflation. It was very conceptual. And really... The only reference I had, or the mo- biggest reference I had for what it's like when 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 superinflation impacts your was was when I was a teenager or really younger in the in the, in the late seventies, the mid and the late seventies when um, interest rates for a mortgage were like double digits, you know, and and the and the line to get gas was an hour long and things like that, and we haven't really at least experienced anything like that for an extended period of time comes to mind and uh, that it's a real concern until now. And, and and here it is, increasing the cost of things for people across the economic spectrum, but certainly making it most difficult for people who are kind of living on the margins. And it, it's the, it's, you know, it's the back end of this, or maybe it's not, or maybe it's, maybe it's the middle it's the next phase of economic difficulties that follow this, you know, this unbelievable period of unemployment and job loss and economic despair and, and, and the, the wiping out of, you know, almost wiping out of an industry uh, or at least, you know, seriously mortally wounding an industry of hospitality and, and uh, food service and things like that. And, and now you have this. So it is. Uh, it, it it is incredibly challenging. I think of strategies. What are the strategies that you? What are the household strategies to cope with it? You know, when it comes to groceries, you know, is are there things you're just not going to buy? Probably. Are you going to adjust your portions on certain things like meat? Right. My, my my son's home from college for a month. I get we we like to have a nice uh, steak dinner maybe once a week. Well, that's really expensive now. I mean, really, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's always been really expensive to go out to a a steakhouse 
and, and the way around that was, you know what, teach yourself to cook a nice cut of meat and make a dinner at home. Well, that's really expensive. So things like that, maybe it's a luxury, maybe it's not. You're making, um, you've got to make, uh, um, I don't know if it's sacrifices or just adjustments. You know, my 13-year-old, whatever, he loves ramen noodles. I'm like, you know what, get used <laughs> to it, buddy. Have at it. He's like, can make sure to get ramen. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'll get some extra because, uh, you know. Things are, things are looking difficult. Hey, you but, threw um, some frozen vegetables in there. You're, yeah. You've got a, a, a almost well-balanced meal. Yeah, exactly. So I, th- I think people people strategize, uh, and, and that's what's going to have to happen. But um, it's the big issue right now, uh, along with, obviously, the ongoing public health challenge that we're living through and, and I think we'll be living with for many for, for a long, long time. Um and we can we can come back to that at uh, future episodes. I'm sure we will. Yeah, it's um, it's it's not fun and exciting to to think about or talk about. And to your point, you know, it really was a concept before that you you studied, right? You studied inflation and and sort of what it what it meant and kept an eye on it. Um, but this is all of that sort of really jumping out of the out of the book, so to speak, into real life. And all of a sudden, we're all sort of kind of grappling with it all in various levels. Um, Again, for some, it's an it's an aggravation and adjustment for others, it is incredibly detrimental. Um, And that's where, you know, as we look forward, what do we do, you know, from a policy perspective, that's we need to be thinking about how are we supporting those who this is detrimental to as they try and survive. this jump indeed all right we'll keep an eye on it hang in there hang in there out on the west coast and uh with uh with your household and we'll uh, we'll see what happens because um i think we're going to be dealing with uh with this for quite some time i want to shift gears a little bit to something that's it's certainly pop culture i i, I wouldn't call it uh fun I, I and maybe we're waiting for a third shoe to drop so to speak but we've had a couple of celebrity deaths recently bob saget the comedian uh much loved uh, uh across the industry and entertainment as well as by fans and then of course uh almost i, I guess you could call it uh, uh tragically or it, it's tough to call the death of someone who's 99 tragic but it was because betty white was so close to uh that centennial birthday and you know a, a lot a, a lot of I've experienced uh, sort of a lot of coverage and conversation um, around these things. But just one thing that jumped out early was that how people, even with regards to a celebrity, you feel like you can say anything about a celebrity or, or, or on social media or whatever. But I, I found, uh, you know, without naming any specific names, I, I find myself fascinated that um, you had some people on social media that for whatever reason, their knee-jerk reaction was oh Betty White's passed away, yeah that's too bad. It's terrible. She was uh, well loved. And, and someone commented, oh I, ne- I never really understood why she was considered some kind of icon. And, and which now number one, there is a general principle that I don't know, speaking anything but uh, but praise and regret for someone who has passed, whoever they are. Uh, is is not ideal, but again, you're talking about a you know, well-known television celebrity, and all the person said was, "Yeah, I I never really got it," and I, I got to tell you that Facebook feed loaded up really fast with, a, "Oh my goodness," and 
oh, I'd unfriend someone who didn't like Betty White. And what are you talking about? How, to the point where that, where that person actually just kind of had to say, hey, you know what, I, I wait. I, I surrender. I'm, I'm deleting that post. And, and, and it wasn't the, it wasn't to the level of outrage that the person was embarrassed or even or being or being sort of threatened with, uh, um, uh, you know, public shaming. But there was enough just negative reaction that, that it, the person just got rid of the post. And it, it made me it made me wonder if that's some kind of a sign or signal of another movement of the bar on, you know, what you, what you can easily say i mean you, you can still say whatever you want but what you can easily say without any kind of consequence or or blowback because it it was pretty innocuous you know it was a pretty innocuous kind of you know i don't know i i was never really into that that particular celebrity and there was all kinds of sort of backlash um i mean i think to literally answer your question it's not very much anymore um we now have more platforms than I could even list of ways to share our thoughts and opinions with others. And with that comes the response and feedback from others, uh, whether it's positive or negative. Um, you know, there's so many people, you know, we lost America's grandmother and then Bob Saget died and it was, we lost America's father, like who's next. And, you know, all of these things. Um, Part of me does wonder, you know, there's there's something to be said for a more serious person, like, could be thinking in their mind, look, like, inflation has jumped to 7%. We have a worldwide pandemic that is still raging and, you know, infecting people daily and, and people are still dying. Why do we care so much about a, a celebrity dying at 99 who lived a really wonderful life? Um, there's... I, 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 there's something to be said there on the flip side of it. It's sort of, there is a worldwide pandemic raging inflation prices are rising. Store shelves are empty. Once again, people are, you know, leaving jobs and all of these things. We got to focus on something else. So let's focus on celebrity. Um, I can see both sides of that. I think the way we, and it goes back to well before COVID and inflation and pandemics and all of those things of, there is a wild obsession uh, with pop culture and celebrities right now that social media has only amplified um, and taken to some real extremes in, in a lot of ways. And it's, you know, probably borders on unhealthy. Um, you know, is Betty White a national treasure? Of course she is. And why not? Um, but does someone have the right to say, like, I don't get it? Yeah, yes. yeah. But if you and, and maybe most of the reaction was just people like how could you not how could you not leave Betty White how could you not love Betty White <laughs> yeah I, it was just it, I don't know why it struck me as it, I guess it, it only struck me when the person took the post down and he was probably the person he was probably just fed up like all right enough of this I want to move on to other stuff hey yeah. let me give you another example I'll use myself as an example so. Um, Someone from, you know, every, every, almost every community has its, like, you know, town page, you know, the whatever, t you know, any town USA Facebook page. And I'm on there and, you know, and, and so, someone posts an article it, with, with almost no commentary, meaning they weren't, I, I assume because they posted it, they thought it had some, the, the article was not just interesting to start the, the discussion, but they, but they felt it had some merit. But I don't know that because all they said was, 
I think it was something along the lines of, ooh, you know, posted the article and then a one line, uh, something to think about, right? And it was, and, and, and I read the article and, and it was a, it, it was from a couple of years ago too. You know, uh, it, it was, it was like, you know, they came across it somewhere, but it was from like 2018. And it was an article by some, uh, uh, you know, parent blogger somewhere uh, from a couple of years ago in, that said, can we just stop posting about our children's college acceptances? And I'm like, okay. Now, people do that. I, I, you know, some people just, you know, my son got into a college and, and said, I'm going to this college. And I was proud. And, and so I posted, oh, you know, good, good to see he's going to this college, you know, uh, and like the logo. That's it. Some people, like, they give you like a play-by-play, like every nuance, every daily development of their child, of their, of their child's college entrance process, they report on Facebook, you know. Okay, I, I get it. I, I, that's not really my thing, and I might be like, "Yeah, I'm not. I don't really care." I don't know if I'm gonna if I'm gonna backlash against it, but this article suggested that that people need to not do that at all because because it makes other teens anxious, because it makes other teens feel nervous and feel pressured that they're not doing enough or that they didn't get into a college. You know, you know the drill, basically. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's kind of like the, you know, everyone gets a trophy thing. It's like, all right. And I felt the article was, was completely ridiculous and, and quite frankly, stupid. And all I did was post a comment in the comment field that said, this is the stupidest article of all time. I mean, like, for real. I said, I, I, I've emphasized how stupid it was. That's all I said. I, I, I wasn't attacking the poster. I, I, I wasn't suggesting that they were stupid. I just said, this article is stupid. And there were various other people posting different levels of response in favor against the article. Most people were a little bit more, I don't know if it's diplomatic, but a little more and less direct. They're like, I think it's fine to post about your children and this, this and that. And a couple of people, one in particular, just, whoa, they just lay, they just lay it into me. Can't we not call people in our community stupid just because we don't agree? And I said, so I responded, I think you're absolutely right. We should not do that. And I didn't. I called the article stupid. The po- the original poster posted the article with no commentary because they think it's an article of interest. I agree. I'm very interested in the article. And I think it's really stupid. And it was like, so it was like a whole back and forth over basically nothing. Um, but that's kind of what, and, all, and then all, by the way, all of a sudden you look at your phone, you're like, what the heck? That was... I just wasted 20 minutes. So <laughs> that's kind of what these social media conversations become. So anything can touch off a powder keg, right? Or, or, like, a, or like a little firestorm of controversy because people are very, feel for, very free, myself included, to share, you know, to, to share their thoughts. I could have just as easily not said, this is stupid. I could have just ignored it or just said, you know, something more diplomatic. Anyway. Well, I mean, I think it's a combination of things, right? It's just, hey, freedom of speech. We live in the United States. It's a, it's a blessing that we ha- and a right that we have. Um, but with freedom of speech comes freedom of speech and response. And then there's also the people who who literally thrive off of 
throwing bombs or getting in and just poking people to make trouble. And as long as, and I'm not even talking about like trolls necessarily, just people that literally enjoy going in and just seeing who they can really rouse up and and get feisty. And then they just sit back and watch and it's entertaining. (laughs) Um, As long as those people exist, we will also have all of these issues, but Hey, social media is a lot of things good and a lot of things bad. We've talked about this before. Uh, I think for the past, you know, as we go into almost two years since the world initially shut down, it became a lifeline for people uh, to stay connected, whether it was to family or friends or just to other human beings and having conversations. And with that comes contention and disagreement as well. Um, But it's certainly all in how you use it. I mean, I'm more of a person that like, if I think something's going to enrage people, I'm like, eh, it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah. um, but others feel differently. And, you know, in that instance that you're talking about, you didn't even think that would enrage people. It was just like, hey, for the record, this is, you know. Yeah, it was, an, it was an offhand comment. My, my, my antidote, um, especially after four years of a lot of Facebook and social media oriented animosity around the uh, around the White House, which I have um, uh, refreshingly left completely behind. I, I, it's, uh, but um, my antidote is to start, you know, is to get involved in or start stupid arguments over stupid things, which are harmless. You know, like I, I have an on, we've got an, we've got an ongoing running battle with a good friend of mine who's what, you know, one of one of the one of the nation's best-selling nonfiction authors right now, and another guy who's a radio personality about about the band Kiss. You know, he loves Kiss. I think Kiss is terrible. You know, that's what we argue about. It's it's it literally is the definition of stupid. But <laughs> it's a, it's an outlet. It's a release. It's a way to have have fun and exchange commentary over something that is completely harmless. And that might be. The best use of uh, uh, of social media sometimes is just to kind of engage. Same with sports and things like that. Just engage in some fun back and forth, and, and not take everything so seriously. Sometimes you just gotta step away from from all of the intense other things that are circulating. Indeed. All right, Cayenne. Great conversation. Good talking to you as always. Once again, 2022, here we go. Here we go. All right, that's going to do it for this week's edition, or this edition, this episode of 321 Go. We're recorded remotely from different locations around the Commonwealth and the USA. Our producer's Valentina Mendez. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero. Next on OA on Air, we're joined by Madison Block, the Senior Marketing Communications Associate for American Consumer Credit Counseling, national company based in Newton, Massachusetts. It's consumercredit.com. They also have the Talking Sense blog. And Madison's joining us here today to talk about the Financial Health Index. Madison, thanks so much for joining us on OA on Air. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Uh, it's great to have you. Hey, let's start off talking about uh, a little on the a little of the background of American Consumer Credit Counseling. Um, 
what uh, what's the history around this agency? I know you're a national nonprofit. Uh, we have worked with ACCC for some time, but uh, tell our listeners of OA on Air a little bit more about ACCC. Sure. So American Consumer Credit Counseling, we are a national nonprofit credit counseling agency. Like Cosmo said, we're based uh, in Newton, Massachusetts. We help consumers who are dealing with a variety of different financial problems, uh, mostly debt. So what we do, uh, we have a debt management program that is helpful for consumers who, uh, you know, they're just overwhelmed by credit card debt um, and they just don't know how to move forward financially. So what they will do is they'll call us and they'll get to go through a free credit counseling session with one of our counselors. And they'll basically just kind of take the clients through how to create a budget, um, what their options are to pay off debt, and if they are um, interested in joining in, uh, in enrolling in the debt management program, we see if that's the best option for them. And if so, then uh, we enroll them. And you know, if somebody has, say, five different credit cards, uh, instead of having to pay those five different credit cards uh, individually every month in the debt management program, that's all consolidated into one monthly payment, and then we'll disperse that to the creditors. So it just it helps the consumers kind of keep their keep their finances a little bit simple. Um, they don't have to worry about making five, six, seven different payments every month. They just pay us. We pay the creditors, and uh, we can often get them lower interest rates as well. So they do save money in the program. That's terrific. It's a very valuable program. I know debt management is one option um, that can help a lot of people avoid serious consequences and being um, uh, over their head in debt. But you, you provide a lot of services. You provide budget counseling. You provide uh, a lot of workshops, webinars now. American Consumer Credit Counseling really is a terrific resource for for consumers uh, who just need good advice and, and, and counseling on, on how to develop a household budget. Yes. So uh, we do we do a lot of financial education as well. And all of our financial education resources, uh, the webinars, the workshops, that is all free. So one of the you know, one of the only good things really that came out of the pandemic was we started offering webinars to anybody who wanted to sign up. So before the pandemic, we would mostly just our community outreach team would just go around New England, they would just go, you know, wherever it was in, within driving distance to teach different workshops on budgeting, managing credit, dealing with identity theft, lots of different financial topics. Uh, but we were pretty limited to just Massachusetts, uh, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, uh, Maine, Vermont. But now with the webinars, um, we can reach a national audience and we've had uh, we've had a lot of success with that. And we've been able to reach consumers, you know, even even out on the West Coast. So we've had a lot of people from Texas and California start tuning into our webinars. So that's been uh, one silver lining of, of COVID. Yeah, you, you, you achieved growth and uh, reach to, to new people, new audiences uh, as, as a result of, uh, uh, of, of the COVID-9 pandemic, which uh, really had uh, obviously a, a major impact on so many Americans in their household finances. Now, I want to get to that in a moment, but as far as the typical client, if there is one, what are the types of uh, clients you encounter? Uh, what's the financial profile of uh, uh, of the typical household that uh, uh, can be helped or, or comes to American Consumer Credit Counseling for help? So we don't necessarily have one 
typical client. We get uh, we get clients from all over the country because we we are licensed to do business in all fifty states, um, and we do get clients of you know different ages, different income levels, and they come to us for different reasons. And, you know, a lot of them do have pretty overwhelming amounts of debt, and sometimes this happens because of you know their own financial mismanagement. But a lot of times this happens because you know maybe there was uh, you know some medical issues, and now they're dealing with medical debt and they got you know they got laid off or you know they can't work anymore so then they start relying on credit cards you know during the pandemic there's people who have been out of work and then you know again they start racking up credit card debt so you know there's no one typical client um but it's it's all people who who definitely need help uh trying to pay off debt and get back on their feet financially now i wonder you know what we're right now we're in the holiday season typically the heaviest spending season for consumers of every year. Um, and, uh, you know, I know I've seen uh, a lot of research um, and content from ACCC in, in years past around holiday spending, strategies for controlling it, how to recover from it uh, after the holidays. D- does the number of people or households in need of budget and credit counseling fluctuate at different times of the year? And do you find that Around this time or around the first of the year, um, you see an increase in outreach for pe- from people looking for assistance. Yes. So, um, you know, usually January tends to be a busy time for us just because that's when the credit card bills from the holiday season start coming in. And that's, um, you know, that's when a lot of people start to realize that they might have spent more than they could really afford. Um, and then that's when they'll come to us for help. So January does tend to be kind of a busy time, but, uh, you know, we, we do get clients obviously year round and, um, you know, no matter, no matter the season we're we're here to help. Now, um, we're talking to Madison Block from American Consumer Credit Counseling. Um, Madison, you mentioned the pandemic and we're going to talk more about that in a moment, but, um, just anecdotally did the financial impact of the COVID-19 global health crisis, um, which was certainly uh, by a lot of measures uh, massive and historic and maybe uh, sort of a a unique kind of 100-year financial storm, did that cause a lot more people to seek help directly from from American Consumer Credit Counseling? That's that's a good question. And what was really interesting was it, didn't at first, um, you know, when we had the uh, the stimulus checks and people were getting, um, you know, a decent amount of money in unemployment, we didn't actually have a huge increase in people coming to us for help. Um, and, you know, student loan, federal student loans were also paused and they still are paused. Uh, that kind of alleviated that burden for a lot of consumers. Uh, but once the unemployment stopped and once the stimulus checks stopped, then, you know, we did see a, a bit of an increase then in, in people coming back to uh, to ACCC for for credit counseling and, and debt management help. Now, just coincidentally on the timing, I know ACCC introduced in the first quarter of 2020 the Financial Health Index. Just so happened that it, it tracked over over a year, more than a year, really five financial quarters, and and, and still counting obviously because uh, I know the index now comes out every quarter, but you tracked a the the financial health of Americans at a time when um, so many were experiencing difficulties. 
Um, what went into creating that? Again, it was a coincidental thing with the pandemic, but uh, what was the thinking into creating the financial health index? Uh, and, and, and it just so happens that as a consumer of media, um, you, you see different measures of economic health, whether it's the consumer price index or um, uh, where r- rates are going or uh, consumer confidence measurements by various business groups. Um, and, and more and more, uh, whether it's uh, uh, Yahoo Finance or the New York Times or many other media, I, I'm seeing the financial health index referenced uh, as as one of those measures of economic fluctuations in America. What went into creating that? Sure. Um, so the logic behind the financial health index was pretty much just we wanted to track consumers' uh, financial health from quarter to quarter and eventually year over year to see uh, just basically if we could find any patterns or if we noticed uh, if debt was going up or if people were starting to maybe not be super happy with the level of income they were earning. So we have we ask seven different questions every quarter. The first six questions are the same questions every time. So we'll ask them things like, uh, you know, how would you describe your current level of comfort based on total household income? Do you think your employment is stable? What's your level of confidence in the U.S. economy? Do you think you can reduce your debt in the next six months? So those questions are the ones that we ask every single quarter. And then the, the seventh question is a variable question. And we try to have that tied to current events. So Makes for sense. March of 2020, um, the that seventh, that variable question was, how significantly has uh, COVID-19 impacted your financial health? And even at the beginning of the pandemic and, you know, March, the end of March 2020, when we first sent this out, we saw that already 80% of people responding were saying that COVID had at least somewhat impacted their finances. Yeah, that, I remember that. And that was just a, an eye-opening uh, finding. This public health event had such a humongous financial impact. And those first six questions, indeed, that's the index part. That's the sort of moving average on a set of measurements, which I think is really valuable. And then there's a lot of value in that variable question because, uh, as you said, it addresses something that may be current in the news at the time or a current event that's impacting people. It, it, it anecdotally, yet with statistical um, uh, data behind it, uh, tells a little story about American household finances. So I, I, I think it's been incredibly valuable, uh, so much so that uh, ACCC, and that's consumercredit.com, uh, you can reach ACCC that way, as well as at the Talking Sense blog, um, that you created a white paper uh, that tracked sort of that first year or maybe even the first five quarters of the financial health index um, and really sort of delivered a lot of interesting data, including uh, as a resource, all of the data from the surveys themselves, as well as some key findings. I think the big headline takeaway is that a lot of the traditional advice and counsel that we, that, uh, that you and others uh, in that space provide uh, had probably its most illuminating live in live. This is not a drill event uh, that tested and proved that it was important uh, to follow a lot of good principles uh, in terms of budgeting and, and preparing yourself for a household financial storm. 
for sure. Um, and one of the things that we noted in the white paper was that uh, consumers really do need to be prepared for a worst case financial scenario. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic just kind of showed us how emergencies happen when you least expect it. And this is why we tell our clients and why we tell consumers that having an emergency fund is so important because, you know, if something like the pandemic happens and you, you lose your job or you have a health crisis and then you get, you get hit with all these medical bills, you need to have that, uh, that emergency fund so that you don't end up having to rely on credit cards or you don't end up going into you know, overwhelming amounts of debt that you feel like you can never get out of. So having that emergency fund is, uh, is very important. In addition to um, finding reports on it uh, in various media, can, um, can folks access the financial index, the financial health index data from consumercredit.com? Yes. Um, if they go to consumercredit.com, um, they can, there's actually, there's a search function on our website. So that might be the easiest way to, uh, to find it just to go to the, to type in white paper and that should pop up. Um, but it is in our, our resources and tools. So they should be able to find it. Oh, that's great. So they can download the white paper. They can get the, like the press release and information from your new media page and things like that. That's, uh, that's really valuable. You're on, on, um, you've got the talking sense blog also consu- is it consumer credit at, on Twitter? What's your Twitter handle? Uh, our Twitter handle is ACCC underscore TalkSense. Excellent. All right. We've been talking to Madison Block from American Consumer Credit Counseling. Uh, incredibly valuable resource uh, in the white paper on the Financial Health Index. And then, of course, a great quarterly resource, the index itself. And at ConsumerCredit.com, American Consumer Credit Counseling, uh, helping uh, people in every state across America who need budget counseling and, uh, and, and support on managing their credit and their debt. Madison, thanks so much for joining us on OA On Air. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome back to the Cayenne and Tom Show. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what Who we're minutes? renaming it? Because I, I, I'm not going to lie, I don't hate it. <laughs> Two minutes with Cayenne and Tom. Two minutes with Tom. Yeah, which invariably turns out to about 18 minutes with Cayenne and one minute with Tom. <laughs> that is not true. I'm going to let you speak endlessly. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. It's 2022. Can you believe it? 2022. Yeah, I mean, with all the challenges 2022 has, I, I, we can talk politics if you want. We can talk the economy. This administration in Washington, the Biden administration, has got some real issues and challenges. And... Um, in dealing with COVID, in dealing with a, an inflated economy, mm-hmm. in dealing with issues that just apparently can't get solved in a two-track Congress of the United States. It's, a, it's kind of a fascinating year. And we have elections to boost, which will be an indicator as to what you know the political climate is going to be like for the 2024 presidential election. It's, uh, it's going to be a fascinating year to watch. A lot happening. Um, a lot... I don't want to say on the line, that almost sounds very dramatic, but a lot on the line. Uh, inflation up 7%, uh, I think, as of last month. Obviously, deadlock in in Congress and in D.C. about really moving any of Biden's really large issues forward, uh, which is not a foreign concept and something that's become increasingly common. But 
incredibly disgruntling is we have very large, very real issues that need to be solved. Yeah, he sure does. Um, and, you know, he's, he's brunted by two members of his own party in the United States Senate. And although I'm a progressive, you know, I'm a practical guy. I, I, I look at Joe Manchin, who gets great blame for inability to get things passed. But I think... Uh, I, I think if I were the U.S. Senator from West Virginia, I wouldn't be far off what he's doing to, in an attempt to represent my state. And, you know, he, a year ago, was willing to give the president, or eight months ago, a, a, a trillion, 200 or 300 billion dollars, down from a, a four trillion or a three trillion dollar package. Boy, they'd clamor for that today. And now I think we have to pay attention to what he has to say. And I think we have to to uh, negotiate with members of our own party as we move forward. And, and I think with that in mind, there'd be some degree of success. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not defending it. I'm, I'm just saying that's the way it is. And I think politics is the art of compromise. I think that's what it's about. You know, we've got two extremist sides of two different parties that just won't bend and they need to learn to do so. I, I um, if they want to, if, if they want the American people back behind them, they better start doing it. You know, that's what Reagan and Ronald Reagan and my dad understood. They appreciated the other person, the position they held uh, and respected that position and allowed for them to understand where if you wanted to go a certain distance with pieces of legislation to move forward, you had to bend and understand where the other person was coming from. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I have great hope that that will happen. Um, this year, next year. No, I think a lot's going to reside, frankly, in the 2022 elections. Does does Congress remain in the hands of the Democrats or does it go to the Republicans? If it goes to the Republicans, then all bets are off. If it goes to the Democrats, I think there's greater hope that the Republicans will see an opportunity to move ahead. I mean, there was a story in the New York Times yesterday or the day before about, about people living in poverty in, in, in the south of the United States, in the rural south, unable to have sanitary plumbing and sewerage conditions. The infrastructure bill would have changed all of that for them. Um, and, and, and I just don't understand why people can't get behind that, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, people, we talk, Cosmo and I talked about this, with, particularly with inflation, but, um, you know, and all that, all of the pieces that comes with that but at the end of the day there are a lot of people millions of people truly struggling trying to figure out how they're going to get through today and get to tomorrow and pay their rent and put gas in their car to get to their job and the idea you know that that it's political ideologies and, and thought processes that are keeping any movement on these very large issues from moving forward yes. is downright just depressing. <laughs> but 2022 can be a can be a year of great hope. And as an individual who sees, you know, a, a glass half full, you know, I'm hoping I'm hoping for the best. I think they I think it can be an improvement. And uh, we will see a brighter day. That I guarantee you, beyond COVID, beyond the economy, things will get back to normal. I like that. Here's to that for 2022. I'm raising the glass. Thanks. Diane, <laughs> it's always nice to be with you. And you. Have a great day, Tom. 
that's it for this week's episode of OA On Air via social distancing. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next week.